The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up all, Aaron but not that Aaron here to tell you about Sif Pop Writers Room. For the past several years there have been a growing amount of writers for SifPop.com providing best ever challenges, movie reviews, themes, legacies, connections, and so much more. Sif Pop Writers Room is where that all comes together, giving a voice to those words that you read. And on the show, every week is excellent getting to chat such a wide variety of movies with a wide variety of movie lovers and I'm really having a lot of fun with the show and I just think that you would too. So check out Sif Pop Writers Room wherever you listen to your podcast and we'll see you over there. Just remember to knock first. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that rode a rancor into work today, it's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Saturday mornings or Friday evenings, or available to download later in your podcast feed, unless of course you're a patron. Patrons get perks! Patrons get those perks. My rancor's in the shop. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and the only man I know who can grow better facial hair than Hercule Perot. it's Andrew Armsby, ladies and gentlemen. Ahoy! And each week we'll chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. She calls every movie a murderer. It's a problem. It's Alice! Welcome. G'day, Alice. g'day, g'day. Woo! Uh, how's life down under, Alice? How's stuff in Australia? It's so hot down here. (laughs) (laughs) It's your summer. It is our summer, and as we know, it's infamous for being always really hot in summer. But it, I mean, it's cooling down. We're only in the 90s today, so I'll take that. Now, did do you, Australians use, do you Australians use Fahrenheit? That's what I was going to ask. Did you convert it for us? Did you convert it for us? No, I have to... I have to convert it because uh, I don't even okay. know if I'm saying the right one. It's <laughs> like 30-something thir- degrees here, but for yeah. you, that's like freezing cold. So. <laughs> it yes. is l- just below zero. I was going to say, uh, below it's, freezing, pro- below it's probably 32, about 32 in both places right now. Uh, it's 32 yeah. here and 32 there. It's, you know. Actually, it's it's a it's a brisk 50 right now yes. here. Yeah. It's not too cold. No. Meanwhile, if, 90, it's 50 degrees, 90, if it's 50 degrees over here, we're all like about to die of heat stroke. <laughs> So. I assume in Australia, and I don't know if it's the same for coastal regions, but I assume it's always a dry heat. Like, it's always no. dry. Is there really Incorrect. humidity? Incorrect. It, it's really? like, first of all, I think everyone, pretty much everyone lives on the coast because you can't really live in the middle of Australia because it's mm. like just it's death it's so death if yeah yeah well yeah. if you live in if, if you, you you can google it but people who do live in the center they live in like holes in the ground that they've like built mm-hmm. into nice houses but um so everyone's on the coast but no in because i live in melbourne and it's famous for having four seasons in a day and so the humidity so we'll have 
intense hail and rain while it's also like 35 degrees which is like 90 something and so mm-hmm. the missouri yeah. of australia <laughs> yes yes yeah pretty much, really well. pretty much well we know you came <laughs> here to hear the weather report from our various locations yeah. <laughs> so we'll just keep talking about that instead of pop culture uh <laughs> no well, i bet i bet i bet alice could be a great weather woman you know I bet, she already uh, yes, has the hand absolutely. gestures she could do the you know yeah. the presentation we gotta just need a green a cold screen front moving in yeah yeah I know. Oh, why didn't I think about that? I'll, I'll go back to school. There you, <laughs> should, go. you should. Uh, no, let's get into talking about the movies for this week. Uh, we will, of course, do uh, the reviews, Death on the Mile, uh, on the Nile. Uh, and then also Book of Boba Fett. Uh, we're going to do a season review. Season one of Book Ooh. of Boba Fett. We've got a best ever challenge on the best ever Kenneth Branagh movies as an actor, not a director, as an actor. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, we'll do some buried treasure as well. Let's kick it off by talking about Death on the Nile. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the newlyweds, Mr. and Mrs. Simon Doyle. You must meet Hercule Poirot. My congratulations, madame. Merci. He's only the greatest detective alive. I suspect you invited me for reasons other than the fun. You had something to hide. We have the Karnak all to ourselves, a chef and enough champagne to fill the Nile. Belgian sleuth Hercule Poirot's Egyptian vacation aboard a glamorous river steamer turns into a terrifying search for a murderer when a picture-perfect couple's idyllic honeymoon is tragically cut short. Uh, Nice big cast on this one, as murder mysteries often have. Uh, Gal Gadot, uh, Army Hammer, uh, Letitia Wright, of course, Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot. Uh, and many, many others uh, stepping in there as well. Um, I think probably should mention at least Annette Bening, uh, who is in the movie, and even Russell Brand, who apparently is supposed to be in this movie, um, although I'm not sure. <laughs> couldn't couldn't if find that, him. If, I'm not sure if that actually happened. Uh, what did you guys think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Death on the Nile. Andrew, why don't you kick us off? I liked it. Solid, straight down the middle, liked it. Uh, Definitely does not live up to Murder on the Orient Express for me. Uh, What about you, Alice? What say you? Yeah, I'm at at liked it. Um, I feel like maybe slightly on the lower side, but I would say in the middle. And yeah, not as good as Murder on the Orient Express and also not as good as my expectations or the book. So, Mm. but liked it, you know. Yeah. Now, I've never read the book. Uh, I've heard that you can read books. It's just not something I partake <laughs> in. Uh, but I will say, I think I like this more than you guys. I, however, am still in Liked It with you, but I think I'm on the high side of Liked It. And I do think Murder on the Orient Express is a better movie, but I don't think it's by a wide margin. I really don't. I really had a good time with this movie. Um, I'm, wo- I'm wondering if the continuous postponement of this movie had any effect <laughs> mm. on my enjoyment of it like sure so this is what they kept postponing for you know i know i know mm. a lot of it wasn't you know their fault you know with the pandemic and everything but like it got postponed and postponed i think this was supposed to come out in 2019 wasn't it mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was on our most well, anticipated. Some of it was also a Christmas of 2019 movie. Yeah, we well yeah. it's been on our uh, most anticipated list 3 years. So seriously, yeah. we talked about it on anticipated 2019, anticipated 2000, or no, 2020, 2021, oh, 20, yeah. and 2022. So actually, I think it was 2020 mm. when it was scheduled yeah. for. But yeah. 
But then it was also postponed due to a <clears throat> main actor no longer being a good guy. <laughs> sure, yeah. We're not going to go into that here. That's not what no. we do, uh, number one. And no. number two, I don't want to talk about that. So Yeah. <laughs> so we're no, just but that gonna... was another reason. I think it was like postponed because of the pandemic and then they had to wait mm-hmm. like another six months or something because yeah. of that while they sorted their own internal stuff out. But yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, Waited a little bit. I-, I reckon that Kenneth's just been sitting there with the, like, file, just like, it's coming. <laughs> Anytime, guys. One day. Anytime. I'll just watch it at home. Yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, I will also say this, uh, when we review a murder mystery, a SIF spoil is required. It's just going to happen. We will be talking all the spoilers because, obviously, plots and suspects and all that kind of stuff. So we're just going to be talking about kind of our general thoughts on the movie aspect Mm -hmm. of it, not necessarily who was the killer, you know, kind of uh, idea. So... um, what about you? Uh, oh, no. We already did all our liked it, loved it, uh, didn't we? We all <laughs> liked it. Uh, I guess I liked it most, so I can keep talking. Uh, I think this movie's gorgeous. I'll just start there. I, I yeah. really enjoyed just looking at this movie. Um, there's a real beautiful eye for how to capture this area. There, there's a little bit of CG-ness to some of the landscapes like i see it a little bit but i still mostly don't care because i'm having uh, a really good time looking at the beauty uh i also really enjoy several of these performances uh emma mckay or mckee is astonishing in this movie just astonishing i thought she is she is doing some emotional work uh that is really driving the movie in my opinion um Kenneth Branagh is also doing a little bit more than in the first one, I think. And I think that's purposeful. Uh, I think he wants the character to be a little more than just the caricature. And so he's trying to deepen that character and give it some pa- uh, pathos. And uh, some of that works. Most of that works for me. Some of it doesn't. Um, but uh, but I think he's a, a really gifted um, actor. Um, so, yeah, so that's some of the good stuff uh, I had. What about you guys? Uh, yeah, I really like the cast in this as well. Uh, some people that I thought were going to be more, uh, braggadocious or, you know, flamboyant were some of the most self-controlled and subtle performances there were, uh, Russell Brand. I was gonna say, <laughs> talk about Russell. Make, talk about Russell Brown Brand without talking about Russell Brand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that yeah, is, that's is him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it serves the role well. I think that if you're gonna show that you have acting range, subtlety is something that a lot of people overlook. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they think, uh, okay, so I got to be really funny or really sad, really uh, uh, intense. Subtlety is one of those very one of those very overlooked uh, categories of being a well-rounded actor. Uh, so, Russell, you did it, and I really enjoyed your character. Again, Poirot is the one, Kenneth Branagh is the one who's chewing scenery in this movie. Um, mm. He is there to serve this way too big of a cast. Uh, but uh, yeah, And I know that's not his fault. If If all the people are from Agatha Christie's book, then yeah. you can't control that. But. Right. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Alice? What are some thoughts? Yeah, I think you guys like touched on that. I did want to yeah bring up um, Emma Mackey or McKay. Her performance was definitely the standout for me, as well as Russell Brand, because 
I feel like I just keep thinking of Get Him to the Greek, and then I saw that, and I'm just like, oh, or Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, who's this person? Um, the other thing, and, and of course the cinematography, because, you know, and but I will also touch on that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing I, I actually do like is it's a, it's a mystery that actually has clues that are without the... F- so I won't say what or how. Sure, sure. But... If you were to go back and watch it, you would actually pick up on them. Right. So, um, you know, I was talking um, with the group I went with afterwards and, you know, there are certain ones like, as much as I, I'm a huge fan of Sherlock, there are certain, the clues aren't there until, you know, Sherlock's right. like, ah, this bit of ash comes from this year, which right, is blah, right, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. Well, this is like, oh, like there were moments, because I'd read the book, so I already knew what happened. But my, um, Toby, my partner, he, he turned to me many times being like, ah, that's going to be important later down the line. And then it was important later down the line. Mm-hmm. And so I actually appreciate a, a mystery in general and also a murder mystery where it actually does allow for someone to figure it out if they pay attention. I think that that's important so that it's not just like, oh, they're intelligent for intelligence sake, you know? So Mm -hmm. that was something that I actually appreciated. Yeah. Uh, How did we feel about the the opening uh, with uh, Kenneth Branagh, like, making Belfast (laughs) 1.5? Can we? I didn't want to spoil it. I had this in spoilers, but let me just say you don't need an origin story for everything. Right. Can I just say that? Yeah. I like. I, mean, I don't mind it. I. It's just. It yeah. was so much. Like there was so much of it. That's my only thing. Is it was just. It did. It. It dragged mm-hmm. on. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it. It kept. But us I would say that to... about the the movie. Like one of my cons, if we're like going there, is just sure. the. Oh my my negatives is just that this move this murder mystery took a long time to murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Well, you it know, took a long and, time and, to and again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like and so again, have I hate to bring it back, but in the book, that's not the book thing that's not like oh that's the original story right the original story it's quite quick it's like you know is it this happens yeah it just kind of goes straight into it and so this this one spends a lot of time on these storylines where i'm like but i'm at a murder mystery aren't i (laughs) there's like 11 quote-unquote suspects and they spend like so much time building up motive for every single one of them, mm-hmm. instead yeah. of having the investigation divulge the motivations and yeah. alibis, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does a little from column A and a little from column B. I mean, it's not as if the investigations don't reveal motives, um, but it does spend a lot of time prepping you for uh, that stuff. Uh, for sure. A mm-hmm. um, couple other standouts that I wanted to mention, because this obviously is a big cast. Um Sophie Okinado, um, oh, who yeah. played, I, I thought her. I thought she was great in this. Um, yeah, and then I also wanted to mention French and Saunders, uh, who are a comic <laughs> pair and also a pair in this movie. And I thought that was really uh, really interesting. There's Jennifer Saunders and uh, Don French. Um, mm. So yeah, I thought I thought that was interesting uh, as well. Um, other thoughts? What do you got? Uh, I okay. So while I really liked Kenneth Branagh's performance, I also didn't like. Like it was also a negative for me. It was both a positive and a negative in that he was really good because Kenneth Branagh is a really good actor. Like he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Sure. But for me, Poir- the point of Poirot is that he's not 
overly emotional like there's a certain type he's a certain type of character and i just think he did it a little bit in murder on the orient express and that was fine that was like a good amount to you know show off a little bit of acting and like kind of integrate him within the story a little bit but i just feel like he just went so much more intense on the like you know going on rants and and losing himself and and having these big moments of of anger and and emotion and i was just there like this isn't poirot this isn't what i've i haven't come to see you know the like big emotional play I've come to see a genius detective who's a little bit quirky and a little bit fun you know that's I just that was a big that was important for me because I just you know if I wanted something else I would see something else but Poirot is one of those characters that have literally been adapted eight bajillion times and I also get that maybe this is him trying to put his own spin on it but I think like I said I think the way he did it on the murder on the Orient Express where he did touches of emotion that was perfect but I think he inserted himself into the conflict almost too much and then reacted to it too much. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. I kind of disagree with that. I, uh, the emotion I saw, I thought the movie did a fairly decent job. And as much as I think that that first part went on too long, it definitely gives us Mm. a little bit of grounding foundation for why he is who he is now. And then I think the movie gave us good reasons for why he became something else. Like, I think the movie, unless I'm misremembering the order of events, I do think for the most part, most of what you you see uh, in that emotional aspect of him happens in a place in the movie that makes sense to me. It makes a little bit of sense to me. Um, I think the movie at least gave it a good effort to make that, you know, mm-hmm. emotional journey make sense. Um, but I might be That's missing something. That's all right. Some you could that. be wrong. It's fine. <laughs> it happens every once in a while. It happens every once it's in a while. It's all right. There's certain elements that I will mention in spoilers. There you but go. There yeah, you there's go. reasons for that. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, Absolutely. That, that was a thing. Um, Andrew? Can I also say in terms of performances, sure. uh, uh, Army Hammer's accent was just, <clears throat> let's, let's not just cast a British actor. I'm just uh, <laughs> like... I no. thought he was supposed no, to be American. No, there's too many British actors playing Americans. <laughs> Honestly, I thought he was supposed to be like just a well-spoken American. I think, isn't that the case? He was... was he supposed to be British? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh. Well, there you go. Because <laughs> he kind of had the same, like, uh, uh, he carried himself very much like a Winklevi, you mm-hmm. know? And yeah. I use Winklevi in the, in the plural. You know, yes. in the plural. Yeah. Yes. Andrew, did you have uh, anything else? Uh, you, uh, no, I, I think, <laughs> I, and I don't want it to come across as like, I didn't enjoy the movie. I did, but it was kind of a very, it paint by numbers is not the right mm. word, not the right word, but, uh, by the end of it was, I was, there were so many twists and turns that by the end I was just tired <laughs> and I just wanted to, to find out like, Okay, so okay, yeah, it's who I thought initially. So yeah, we can uh, we can we can wrap this up without giving anything away. How did you guys feel about the resolution? I guess I should start with you, Alice, since you've read the book. Is it the same as the book, or did they switch it up a little bit? The, or yeah, the um, I guess that's the, kind of spoiler. I guess that's kind the, the of spoiler. Murder- yeah. No, no, no. I will say the the murderer. I'll just say that was accurate that is what it was in the book 
Um, I mean, if you've read the book, then you shouldn't be worried about spoilers because you've read the book. <laughs> like, See, I don't you know. know. I, mean. I didn't. I don't know how that as as an uh, illiterate person. I don't know yeah. how that uh, <laughs> how that necessarily uh, works with these movies. I didn't know if they would change up the actual murderer or those kind of I things. I think that. Yeah, I think with this, like with murder mysteries, I'd imagine that it's more like you, you can change things within it, but the end result kind of has to stay the same because that's, okay. you know, the point. Like, I mean, Murder on the Orient Express is the same where it's like the point is that That result. conclusion, and so, right, got it. Yeah, and so that's the same with this one. The, 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 the result was the same. The way in which it's revealed has obviously similarities, but again, I will say it ties into that emotionalness a little mm-hmm. bit more than it does in the book. Okay. Um, so it's more about that, like, emotional reveal rather than just like, hmm, I figured it out, sort of yeah. thing. I'll say this. Andrew so, gives politics <laughs> yeah. thumbs. Oh, yes. yeah. The reason why I think Murder on the Orient Express, the film, works better than this is because it, can we spoil Murder on the Orient Express? That is fine with me i mean we're it's you know three years old or more yeah everybody if you don't want it skipped then just move ahead it's not even a reveal of Mm. who done it it's who it was done to yeah Mm. the thing with johnny depp's character is (laughs) he was really uh they didn't spend any backstory on him or or time for us getting to know him you know he was revealed as one of the players you know like any of these people could be the one to die, you know, and then and then who's left over? It's, it was very cluish, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm saying all these things knowing that Agatha Christie is one of the founders of this genre. So whenever I make comparisons like to Clue or to like any other, I know that that's you know flipped on its own head. Right. So like, um, but like I like the fact that in Murder on the Orient Express it was very much of you know oh so this one guy who we didn't even get to spend that much time knowing is the one whose murder we have to solve now and then you get to know his backstory and then you get to find out all the things Mm -hmm. about him sure whereas in this movie one of the very prominent people that we're spending so much time getting to know is the one who is murdered and then you just get more exposition Mm -hmm. on top Mm. of afterwards and i'm like all the things that you're repeating right now have already been established therefore you could have foregone them in the beginning yeah and i'm not saying the movie needed to be movie or i'm not saying the movie needed to be shorter (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it did did (laughs) but what i am saying is the movie needed to be shorter Uh, yeah exactly and can i can i just say to the people in the comments who are saying oh it sometimes changes you've as soon as the movie starts to get into the story you know that they haven't changed the ending if you've read the book. So this wasn't like a massive spoiler that I Good have confirmed. Just so you know, right. as soon as the characters are presented, you're just like, oh, okay, they've, keep, they've kept that the they've same. They've kept the overall so, uh, Yeah, plot. yeah, 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 yeah. I, think, I would just say that. <laughs> I think this movie is clunky. I think what we're getting at is there, there's, there is mm. some, some clunkiness to how it is spending so much time doing the things it thinks it it needs to do um, and in getting to the places it needs to get. It's just a little bit clunky. Yep. Um, but maybe, we need to reiterate, I would recommend this movie. It's fun. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and that's I was going to finish with this positive for me. I actually really like the murder mystery part. And of course, we won't spoil this until uh, the, the spoilers, but I really like where it goes. I kind of like the the themes 
that are presented with it. Um, I I just I genuinely like it. So I uh, wanted to mention yeah. that as well. Um, it is a good murder mystery. I just sometimes it's just fun to watch a murder mystery. You yes. know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. So I yeah, if you're into whodunits, this is definitely worth watching. Yep, totally. Uh, any final things? No post credit scene. That is true. That is true. All right. Well, there you go. That is Death on the Nile. It is available in theaters. Let's move on to a television show. Look at this. We're going to review some I don't know TV. what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the Book of Boba Fett. You were all once captains under Jabba the Hutt. I'm here to make a proposal that's mutually beneficial. Why speak of conflict when cooperation can make us all rich? What prevents us all from killing you and taking what we want? On the sands of Tatooine, bounty hunter Boba Fett and mercenary Fennec Shand navigate the galaxy's underworld and fight for Jabba the Hutt's old territory. Uh, this is a spin-off of The Mandalorian. And is on Disney Plus, I believe, uh, seven episodes. Seven episodes. Seven episodes. I think we've all seen all seven. Um, and because of that, I will say this. And we've said this when we re- reviewed television before. There will not be a SIF spoil on this. We will spoil this show from beginning to end in the review. It's really the only way we found that we have something to talk about when we review seasons of TV. If you do not want to hear about the book of Boba Fett with some of the things that happen and some of the spoilers, and there are some doozies, uh, then we uh, would encourage you to uh, fast forward to the next segment um, because when we review TV, we do spoil things. Let's start here. Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Alice, kick us off this time. What did you think? I, I really, really liked it. Okay. Okay. Strong like, strong like. Andrew? Yeah, I think <laughs> I will go with high side of liked it. High, close to really liked it. But just high side of liked it. I'm at straight liked it, maybe low side of liked it. Whichever one I go with, I'm putting a giant asterisk uh, after it with a, a notation. Um, yeah. And that is because Ooh. there's really only five episodes of the Book of Boba Fett in this season. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's the Book of Mostly Boba Fett. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is that is the main thing. I don't understand. I've never seen anything like this. I've no. never seen anything like this. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It's just really confusing to me why it's done this way. And I mean, it's, it's I don't weird. watch a season. I don't watch a season of The Simpsons, and then you know, the second half is Family Guy. You know, <laughs> it's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, technically, Family Guy's not a spinoff of The Simpsons, but maybe you don't watch The Family Guy and see. Well, I don't know. Was there a Family Guy spinoff? They've done it. They've done. They've oh, done yeah, a combo the, episode where they where the, Cletus, the Simpsons uh, met the Family Guy. Yeah, characters. Yeah. That's a little bit different, but but it is. <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> but it is like it would be like uh, in this. Uh, had a uh, a friend say this. It would be like you're watching Frasier, and all of a sudden there's a couple episodes of Cheers, but Cheers. with nobody from Frasier in them. 
Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> what is going on here? Like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> now, having said that, I think they're the best two episodes of the season. So, like, it's like, how? What does it say about? What does that say about the other five? Disagree. What's that? Disagree about no, the I was, best what, episodes of the season. Andrew, what what did you say? Oh. Uh, I said, what does that say about the other five episodes? So, do you do you agree that those two are the best of the season? Here's the thing. <laughs> yes, because a Mandalorian has had two se- two full seasons now to establish an emotional driving mm-hmm. force for these characters. So whenever we go back to it, it feels comfortable. This was Boba Fett's season. This was supposed to set in stone an emotional arc for this character. Mm-hmm. And whenever you abandon that emotional arc, it feels like you don't think that there was enough of this character to um, portray a story or, uh, or to tell a really good story. Here's Since since we like to try to start positive, Alice, I would like you to tell me about the other episodes you enjoyed because I really didn't care much for the actual book of Boba Fett, but I really liked the two episodes of The Mandalorian. But But go ahead and... And tell us about what you liked about Book of Boba Fett. Okay. Well, don't get me wrong. I loved those two episodes. (laughs) Like, Baby Yoda's the greatest thing in the entire world. Mm -hmm. So, of course. But I personally got the most affected by, I think, is it episode three? The one where we really, really get to hone in on the Tusken Raider lore. Mm -hmm. And I know that some people haven't been on it, but, like, the fact that they took what were essentially sand terrorists who got a little bit of development in Mandalorian and then we really learnt about their lore we learnt about characters that you literally never see their face but you feel for them you know the differences in their like in their personalities and when you know okay we can do spoilers right so when they all get massacred it is heartbreaking like I was so affected by that entire storyline I thought it was so powerful and I also think it explains why Boba Fett goes from like and you know enough for why he goes from merciless mercenary into someone who cares when we see him in Mandalorian because I think that was something people were like wasn't he meant to be just like a badass who's never cared that much and it's like oh he learnt to have feelings. So, mm-hmm. and and I just, I am, I love world building. And I just thought that was such interesting world building. Like, it made sense to me and, and I really enjoyed it. So, I really liked that. I think it was episode three where it was, like, really kind of focusing in on that whole storyline. Yeah, because I think um, it was episode four was, like, the Power Rangers episode. I think that was the <laughs> one with the 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 most yeah, Vespas. The mods. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the slowest chase scene ever. That chase scene was terrible. Oh, yeah. So bad. Uh, I don't know. Here's one thing I find interesting about uh, this Boba Fett experience everything we know about Boba Fett is based, I shouldn't say everything, but if you're going by just movie (laughs) canon, uh, everything we know about Boba Fett is just like a couple scenes, a couple seconds. We don't know that he's a heartless mercenary. We just know that he caught Han Solo and brought him to Jabba. Like, that's all we well, literally know. Well, don't forget know. about the prequels with Django. Right, but that's but that's kind of setting up some, like, backstory, right? Like, that's not, a, yeah. you know, like that's more about what we know about Django than what we know about Boba, right? Other than this kind of sets the stage for, you know, him in some ways. Um so it's just yeah. it's interesting to me that the the show felt like it had to do some character, you know, uh like adjustment on him 
um, because we really don't know who he is. He could have been the same kind of person before he went into the Sarlacc pit. You know what I mean? Like it's it's kind yeah. of one of those one of those interesting things for me. I didn't like the Tuscan stuff. I didn't I didn't oh. understand the walking around the desert. It was just so much walking in sand and walking back in sand and now we're on animals walking in sand and it's just like, like a panther. <laughs> it's just like can we please move on um i didn't i don't understand the connection somebody needs to help me understand like what is is it is it some sort of um what what's that name for when you start falling in love with your uh, captors Oh, um, you're thinking uh, of Stockholm the Stockholm syndrome. syndrome? Yes, it's some yeah. sort of Stockholm syndrome. Like these, these, this group of people I were terrible was, to him. Like uh, I think it was a humility thing. Mm. What humility do you mean by a humility thing? Like, uh, from what I've read and stuff <laughs> about Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. So I, he was, you know, a, one of the best and wealthiest bounty hunters ever. So for him to be humbled and, uh. And brought down to a more, you know, ground level. I'm try. I was trying not to do a pun, mm-hmm. but like a san- <laughs> sandy yeah. ground level. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, it showed that he. It gave a character that was never known really for having a heart the ability to show range and emotion. Because that's oh, one I understand of the things- what they're trying to do. I don't think it makes sense on a on a relationship level. I don't think it makes we- sense. The way they treated him and the way that they used him as a slave, that, that that this was something that all of a sudden, because he was willing to you know stand up for one of their kids or something, and now they're just like best buds and just like now he's one of well, us I and think leading. It's, it's and- showing honor. I think it's showing honor. It's about like they just, I mean, the Tuscan Raiders, they do explain, you know, they've just been attacked by everybody. So, of course, they're not going to trust anyone else. But it shows that although he's, you know, been not the nicest human being in the world, there's still an element of honor to him. And so when he protects this kid, they're like, huh, he's not totally bad. And then I think it's just, you know, from what we know about Boba Fett, yes, he had a, a relationship, obviously, with his father slash clone dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't, yeah. you know, the idea of family is kind of foreign to him. The idea of protecting those just because you want to protect them and not because of, like, you know, it, it's out of a sense of duty or a sense of money. I just think it was about developing his character to the point where you're not just protecting someone because you've been paid to, you're protecting someone because it's the right thing to do. And I think that it gives him that ability so that when we see him later on as, you know, the, the daimyo of, of um, the the city, Mas you Espa. believe that he... W- yeah, of Mos Espa, thank you. <laughs> I was like, it's not Tatooine. It's not the entire planet. Um, but when you see him as this, you, under- you believe that he would actually respect and protect the people that he takes under his wing, like the mods, like Fennec Shand, that he would save Fennec Shand, you know, that he he has this experience and then wants to build his own version of that, of people that haven't had, who have been misunderstood, that haven't had places to go, and he can bring them together and and build somewhere better for these people because Mm -hmm. half the time, these people are just misunderstood, just like the Tusken Raiders. That's what Mm -hmm. I saw it as. But if he's learning from them, there's one of two options. Either he's learning from them or he is teaching. And I know it goes both ways, but I mean, overall, like somebody is changing if these are the two options, because what he how he operates is with mercy and grace and the ability for somebody to come alongside. Like when he meets the 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 
the go-go power rangers whatever i don't know yeah the mods uh when he meets them he doesn't enslave them and you know it, terrible drag them behind banthas and tie them to posts like a he he <laughs> brings them along and says okay i'm going to in i'm going to empower you right like i'm going to be this person for you well that's not something you learned from the tuscans that wasn't something that they were all about that's not what they did um and so either yes, they were they were scared they, uh, they no. were scared of everyone else and so then he like learned about them and got integrated with them just like the mods were scared and and literally didn't have water like that's what it is well that's he, what he i'm saying past that that's what i'm saying so what you're saying is the option <laughs> is that he changed tuscan culture that that when after he would became friends with them the tuscan way changed it was a teacher being tuscan- teached kind of segment yeah I think he he didn't change them. I think that he, I mean, he changed them in the way that they were willing to trust others. They, I think they were always the same within the people they trust, but this is probably the first time this particular tribe has ever opened up to anyone that's not a Tuscan raider. And they, I mean, unfortunately, besides the massacre, they were going to be for the better for it, you know, if they hadn't. Well, if um, we find out they weren't. The pikes hadn't come. I mean, they were were never going to be the better for it. Um, you know, it was, it was, and so that's, that's another reason, like, why is Boba Fett who he is? If, if he's looking for vengeance, fine. Like I get, I, I get the idea of vengeance, but he should also never trust anyone ever again. There's no reason he should trust the mods. There's no reason, like, like all of this setup no. they're doing for no, his character. No, but the Tuscan Raiders didn't, didn't, didn't betray him. They didn't betray him. They got betrayed. Think of think of well, it like this. Well, that's what I'm and saying. Cr- but he's teaching them to trust other people, and the people he's teaching them to trust killed them all. Like that—that's exactly what I'm saying. Like I don't understand how he looks at that and goes, "Oh, trusting people's a good idea." He looks at that and goes, "Oh, I was wrong. You can't trust other people because it killed everybody I loved." Like I just—I I, I don't understand. I it. think we're—I think we're starting from the wrong idea of who Boba Fett was. <laughs> beforehand and correct me if i'm wrong but whenever uh uh obi-wan goes to that planet where they were making all the clones didn't the the higher alien creature say that as they were making clones that they were removing emotional like uh, uh handcuffs from all the clones that they were really just following orders and uh, that Boba was one of those clones, obviously, but he had like heightened senses and stuff like that. And there's some of that yeah. stuff in Clone Wars uh, and in um, uh, what's the what's the animated Rebels? one? No, the the new animated one. Oh, uh, Bad f- Batch. Yeah, Bad Batch. There's some of that stuff in Bad Batch too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the, what I'm getting at is if he is one of these beings, and I know there's going to be. If I'm wrong, then there's somebody in the chat who will correct me. Um, <laughs> Uh, because that's what it's for, that's and I want to be right. I want to be right, obviously. But uh, <laughs> if he is one of these uh, beings who is just without, um, you know, emotions and stuff, I think that we are not seeing a change of emotions whenever he's with the Tuscans. I think we're seeing a birth of emotions, like, and you can even go back before the Tuscans when he's in the Sarlacc. Sure. You know, whenever he's breaking out of the Sarlacc, don't tell me you don't see any uh, rebirth metaphors in that whole segment. Oh, totally. You yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. So I think that that is possibly what we are seeing. We're not seeing a uh, 
a character relearning who he is. It's a character finally learning who he is. Correct. Um, and I don't think, and I don't think who he learns in his backstory makes any sense with who he is in the rest of the show. I don't think I don't think they go well, together. I'm, I'm already being told in the chat that he was an unaltered clone, so he was. He was a clone of Django with emotions from the beginning. So that whole rant, I just yeah, but he would have he would have stamped, but he would have stamped them down. I mean, he you can't be in the light, grow up in the environment you grow up in, and like you know, do the job you do without seriously no, banging and- down those emotions. Which I think is part of the reason why Mandalorian was so effective because it's like the same with him. He had nothing. Right. He didn't care, and then. But Grogu came along, and then it's like, oh my god, what is this? I, it's something mm-hmm. I care about more than the way. And I think that this is his version. And I think someone in the chat said something very, very, like, I think exactly what my point is that he, Boba sees the normals of Tatooine as the Tuscans, like getting screwed over by power. And then he's like, I'm gonna. I'm going to treat him better so that this doesn't happen again. I think this is what it is. He doesn't want it to happen again. He's seen it happen. He's seen the pikes come in, take what they want, the spice, which I have to say, with Dune having come out, just having come out being all about spice, and now they've really gone hard on the spice in, in this. I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> the spice, Malone. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think that that's it. I think he's like, well, I know that I can, like, I can do this again, but I'm never going to let the outcome happen again. Mm. Like, I just, uh, yeah, I think that that's it for me. And I think that it's shown in the way that all, every single one of the characters that he recruits are all, you know, not very nice people until they're part of this family, if you were, including the Rancor. Like, is Rancor's literally famous for being horrifying mm-hmm. and he rides it like a, and it's like a pup, like giant a puppy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it, it, you know, it's like a whole thing. So I think them, the mods, Fennec Shand, I mean, even Mandalorian, I mean, by that point, he's already kind of redeemed, redeemed and everything, but he's mm-hmm. part of it for sure. And even the mayor, like, the, not the mayor, the mayor's assistant, you know, I feel like we're going to see him in Mandalorian as like the, the partner of um, the, the fixer. I feel like he's going to become like a character now because he's also been redeemed as a result of being part of Boba's new world order. And so I think that that's what it is. He's like seen the, the cracks and he wants to pave them over because no one ever did that for him. Well, I don't, I don't want to belabor on this. We've got so much more more to talk about. <laughs> I think this is just something we'll disagree on. I will say the other aspect of this the other reason I don't like all the the flashbacktas uh, is because <laughs> they they do take time away, also away from our ability to actually get invested in what's going on in modern Tatooine, and I felt like that stuff felt really underdeveloped mm. uh, because of that. I understand what the show is trying to do, and I actually think it's admirable. And in, in the the first you know fifteen minutes of this show are dialogue free. I love that kind of stuff, like that, like the escape from the Sarlacc, all that kind of stuff. I you know, I was definitely I in. So I was, I was hoping against hope we would see him escaping the Sarlacc because you know that's one of the biggest talked about off screen moments mm-hmm. in Star Wars, and we finally get to see it, and it it was really cool. And I was yeah. like, oh, what's he gonna look like? You know, when he's being digested, and he's just all mm-hmm. melted and stuff. Yeah. Ah. So really, Ugh. so the the point of the show, if you're looking at modern Tatooine, is Boba finds his his cadre right like that's that's the point mm. boba is finding his team you know the in his team is gonna you know his make the family. final stand yes his family whatever and you know the something they never mentioned boba went into the sarlacc when there was an empire and he came out when there wasn't 
Yeah, well, so... it might have happened in and around the Tuscan Raider element too, maybe. Yeah, it could have. I don't know. It's could true. Have. Somebody will correct us. I doubt, I doubt he was hanging out in the Sarlacc for like three weeks. But okay, <laughs> look at think of it. Think of it like his his uh, leading principles. Yeah. In comparison to the Empire, because that obviously does that section obviously takes place after the you know the Empire has been destroyed mm. and everything because we see Luke again and everything like that. And I know we're going to talk about those two episodes, but maybe he is basing his new philosophy on leading on the follies of the Empire. He's like, this is how mm. th- obviously that style, mm-hmm. Jabba's style didn't work. The Empire's yes. style didn't yes. work. Yes. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I, I And that, to me, that's the more interesting story. Like, I just, I didn't need the flashbacks. The getting out of the Sarlacc pit was great. That was fine. We just spent so much time on the Tuscan stuff. And it just, and maybe it's just because it didn't work for me as much as it worked for you guys. But I was just like, all of it felt like, I shouldn't say all of it. So much of it felt like <laughs> wasted time to me. Um, mm-hmm. When we could have been developing more of what was actually going on with those themes about, you know, the Empire and, and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I think yeah, that is going to be one of the areas where we're just going to have to disagree on because <laughs> yeah. I think Alice and I we love the Tuscan stuff. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's all right. Uh, it's all right. Andrew, just like hey, before, you know Aaron it, can be wrong. It's fine. We, and we've it's both totally we've fine. both got people in the chat backing both sides up. So you know, like it's it's <laughs> yeah. good. Our our voices will be heard by the you know the people who need to hear them. Um, let's talk about those two episodes of The Mandalorian yes. 2.5. Um, Roku, I love him so much. He's the best little thingy in the world. And the moment when him and Mando are reunited again and he like and force he projects up. himself into his face. Oh my God. I wanted to just cry. And then he gives him so much. He gives him the shifter knob. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, that was so cute. And then I just love it, even at the end when he like calms down the rancor, and then he just passes out next to it. And oh, I was like, oh, the, he's he such just a cuddles up. Baby. He cuddles up next to a yeah. rancor, and he somehow <laughs> makes a rancor adorable just by being in his yeah. presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I just, I have to say, I get the way the last season ended, and it was amazing. But like, I'm really happy they're back together because I just love their dynamics so so much. I just love Mando and Grogu so much. Can I talk about something I loved and hated? Sure. Yes. <laughs> okay. It's the same thing. Okay. Cad Bane. Oh, interesting. Oh. I yep. loved whenever he was introduced. I love Cobb Van, mm-hmm. so I loved all that stuff. Like I, I think yeah. Timothy Oliphant's incredible. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we know you saw the post credit scene, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, so he's coming back, don't worry. But Cad Bane, he's been in uh, Clone Wars, and I think he was also in Bad Batch, too. Um, mm-hmm. But I've loved Cad Bane. He's such a cool character. And I don't know if they... Did they kill him off? No, Is he dead? No, no, he's not dead. There's no way. Bane's dead? They, they, the camera was on him a little too long, and you heard a bit like, beep, beep. Like, you heard the little whatever machine. I haven't yeah. seen Clone Wars, so that was my introduction to him. Although, really cool character design, I have to say. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, he is but, such a cool character. He is... Yeah. Honestly, for a while, I thought that Cad Bane... This is before they did, like, Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian and stuff. Be- mm. Back whenever all we knew from Boba Fett was Empire Strikes Back and, and Return <laughs> of the Jedi, really. But for a while there, I thought Cad Bane was going to be, like, my favorite bounty hunter um in like all of Star Wars mm-hmm. because he was actually growing a uh, like a, a backstory and everything like that but uh yeah. Mm. yeah 
Now it's Mando. Mando is now my favorite bounty hunter. Oh, he's so... I love him. Pedro Pascal. I'm just yeah. applauding. At least, at least Pedro <laughs> Pascal's voice. Uh, at least, at least his voice. We don't know who's who's actually in the in the suit, but uh, uh, let me say let me say this. Uh, Lollipops is asking about the end credit scene. Uh, the end credit scene, we see Cobb Vance in the uh, the the tank being healed. Back to mm. tank. Yep. Yeah, the back to tank. He's Blaine probably having he's up. probably having like, some sort of dead. flashbacks about a water planet, and it's just going to be swimming through water over. And, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. We'll continue. On. <laughs> Aaron, we've uh, moved on from that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I. I think this is to me. This is why it's so. This season is so confusing because these two episodes had so much life to them and so much direction to them, and then you know the stuff on the Boba Fett stuff felt the opposite. Felt like you know too little butter spread over too much bread. You know, like it just it felt like there there wasn't really enough to. Uh, to really justify those other five episodes. Um, and also, we kind of got like an episode of Jedi Training Academy prequel. Yeah, like, that was You know cool. what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I, I enjoyed that. How did we feel about uh, CG Luke Skywalker? How, how are we dealing with this? Now that he's like not just fighting with a lightsaber, he's like a talking character and all that he stuff. He looked better, mm-hmm. but I still didn't see... They were, I think, they were afraid to do too like much emotion. Oh yeah, or like, yeah, because he he seemed very which works monotone. for a Jedi, which works for a Jedi. Mm. I mean, it does. But on the other hand, we've seen so much, you know, emotion carry Luke throughout the entire original trilogy. So yeah. seeing an expressionless, I don't want to say deadpan because that's the wrong word, but I'm a deadpan ish, mm-hmm. uh, you know, persona, and. You know the reason why they're doing it like that is the limitations of the technology, the visual effects technology. It's not for the character's benefit, and that kind of takes you out of the show a little bit. And the limitation, and the limitations of we're dealing with a couple things here. We're we're dealing first Mm. of all with um, oh, it just slipped my mind. What's it? What's it called when you face replace? There's there's a name for that. Um, Deep fake. Deep fake. Yeah, we're dealing with the deep fake face replacement thing, right? Which is incredible how close we are getting with that stuff and then you're also dealing with deep fake audio right you're dealing with mm. like that voice is young mark, mark hamill. hamill no or, it's, it's I, young say old, I say old mark <laughs> right. hamill yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah. old movies <laughs> right but, uh, yeah so both those technologies are really really close but i think they know they're not where it can just be a full quicker you know kind of thing and i think for mm. the most part it it really works and beyond that to me it is they the it, this is a this is a crucial moment in uh, pop culture construction because I think we will look back at this Luke Skywalker character in uh, The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and it will be seen as the precursor to what movies and television will become 30 years from now yep. you know, or 20 years from now or however long it takes to perfect the technology. Uh, any actor of any age of any time can be cast in any movie. And Aren't they doing it, a James Dean movie this year? Yeah. 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 yeah, we are at the turning point. We are absolutely 100% at the turning point. You are experiencing history right now. I don't think a lot of people realize when they watch that scene that there's more to it than, oh, cool, look, they kind of brought Luke Skywalker back. No, no, no. You are experiencing the future of filmmaking. Yeah. 
right now. I like, think I think the actors and actresses are going to have to sign posthumous licenses. They already are. Yeah, they you already see are. Rights. Yeah, and they in in most agents have their uh, their actors do full you know body eight K body scans, um, you know whatever. So that so that they are ready for when they can sell their digital likeness and you know be cast in a movie and not I mean you know I joke about who knows who's in the suit you know for Pedro Pascal but that is probably in the contract like Pedro's like you know I'll be there on those days I have to take my helmet off but you can put a you know I'll do, and I'll do the voice thing but you can put somebody else in the suit you know what I mean like in and that'll be the same for digital use my digital thing and pay me this much as opposed to paying me to be there which is going to cost you a lot lot more. You know, I, it is the future of where we're heading, like it or not. And I think there are some cool things about it, but um, but there are also some things, you know, that you feel are lost, right? You feel like there's a loss of something tangential uh, when we head that direction. But I, I just, I, mm. I watched that and I was like, oh, this is it. This is, pay attention. This is the future. And uh, and I, I found it pretty pretty amazing. And we haven't mentioned Ahsoka. Ahsoka shows up. Like, everybody is showing up in this <laughs> This thing. Um, Instead of this being a season of, you know, setting a foundation for, uh, you know, a a new story arc, it ended up being this culmination of loose hanging threads from other shows. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, the thing that we didn't cover? Here, real quick, we'll take care of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, It's disappointing in the sense that I wanted a book of Boba Fett mm-hmm. show, you know, and I got book of five sevenths Boba Fett. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but uh, I would okay on this. I think it's very purposeful that they've called it the book of Boba Fett because it did to me make sense as a like a novella where it's like mm-hmm. I've been reading the series of Mandalorian and now this companion novel has come out and it's about Boba Fett and most of it is but obviously it's the companion series to this other bigger series I want to know what's happened with this here's a few chapters from this guy's perspective because we know that you love him but then we'll pull it all together at the end like that's the way I was kind of maybe that's why I was totally fine with it because like I'm so used to that as well and in like Mm -hmm. you know because I do read a lot but on that Something that I will actually say is that with the whole Jedi thing, there were elements where I was like, how is this going to work based on what we know from the sequels? You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I felt like Grogu had to pick Mandalorian because otherwise he dies, right? Right. Yeah, we all knew what was going down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So And then then also also Mandalorian, like the TV show Mandalorian dies without Grogu. Like they need him in that show. Exactly. Well, there's that. But then also, I think it's really interesting that the reason why Grogu goes back to Mando is because of the emotion thing. And I'm very, like, I don't, it's not that I don't get it, but I wouldn't have expected Luke to uphold the whole Jedis don't have attachments thing. Because we know from the sequels that Luke literally has nothing but attachments until he goes all wrong and then, you know, goes away to a small island in the middle of nowhere. But like... Not only he teaches his sister, who is married with a child, to be a Jedi. He obviously still has a relationship with his sister. He cares about it. He obviously develops a relationship with his nephew. So this whole Jedi's don't have attachments is like I just I didn't see that as being part of Luke's teaching philosophy, because I would have thought that. Oh, I apologize. If you can hear my dogs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would have thought that 
his experience fighting the Empire would have made him less attuned to that whole experience of being a Jedi. Like, isn't that part of the reason why the Jedi Order fell in the first place? I so think I thought that's that was what, interesting that he, yeah. I think that's where we're headed. I think we're headed to Jedi 2, 2.0, whatever that looks like post-Ray yeah. or whatever, where Jedi 2.0 is understanding how to incorporate the balance of attachments in those kind of things mm. with the Force. And... I think what we're setting up for is for Luke to learn that. Right now he's in a stage where he's trying to honor what was taught to him. He's it's really fresh for him what Yoda mm. taught him, you know? And this yeah. is what Yoda taught him and Obi-Wan taught him and this is his heroes, this is what they believed. And so it makes complete sense to me that he's wanting to find that for himself, but I think there will be something that will happen that will open him up to the idea that there's a different way or, you know, that he can loosen some of that or whatever the case may be. Um, and then eventually, yeah. of course, the stuff with, with Ben Solo will happen and that'll just send him off, you know. Yeah. And he'll, that will send him off the whole thing. So, so that's actually a really beautiful progression for Luke mm. to go from, oh, I'm going to do it just the way the people who taught me did it to, oh, maybe I don't have to do it this. M okay, maybe, you know, the, and then all, and then finally just losing his faith and just being like, no, I guess it's all junk. Yeah. It's all nonsense. It, it's interesting to know that where we're seeing Luke and Grogu right now is leading to the the new se this new series that we had mm -hmm. with the uh, uh, Ray and mm -hmm. Kylo Ren. That that's that's how Luke, who, who Luke is going to become throughout the show potentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we're going to get our first instance of a gray Jedi. Fingers crossed. I think so. I what, see, if, what if I Grogu, Grogu becomes Grogu a gray be, Jedi? That's what I'm thinking. And I'm also yeah. wondering like, how they're going to explain, while the end of the world was happening, Mando and Grogu were off having tea <laughs> on another galaxy. Like, I just think that's well, a they, bit of a prequel-itis thing where it's like, okay, but what happened there? Like, they would have been alive. Grogu definitely mm -hmm. would have been alive. So there was that. But I would love... I, I, I was... Okay. I was thinking in the sequels that Rey was going to become a Grey Jedi. So yeah, I would really, too. really love it if they actually finally did that. Because I think that's such a fascinating mm -hmm. story that they haven't explored yet. Like, I just think yeah. that that's so interesting. And this would be a great sort of progression. Oh, I do have to say as well, as much as I love Grogu and I love Grogu, I wonder when how long they're going to keep him as a baby and when he's going to finally start to like forever, be a small right? He'll be a baby thing. for a he'll very a, long time. Yeah, really? he'll be a baby for hundreds of years. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I think guess he's, we'll never he's hear him talk. All for it. Yeah, he's basically a three-year-old, right? Like, it feels like somewhere in that three to four. Like, you can communicate, you can, but you're still not really talking. You know, um, yeah. well, I guess yeah. lots of babies are talking by three, just not really clearly. But yeah, this is going to sound walking, awful. I don't want Grogu to ever learn words. Yeah, I don't want Grogu to ever learn words. I just want to know if the Yoda going, thing's yeah. just a Yoda thing or if it's a a species thing. <laughs> well, it, you know what's interesting. Yeah, I'm just now thinking about this, and we probably do need to finish uh, finish up our conversation <laughs> on the show. Um, but I, I am just thinking that aging and maturity is about learning, and learning shouldn't be about lifespan. Learning should be about mm -hmm. moments. So he genuinely should be learning to walk and talk and those kind of things at the same pace as any other creature. It's just that the lifespan is different. So... I don't know about like adolescence and that kind of stuff, but as far as like actually just learning how to talk, 
why wouldn't he learn at the same speed how to speak? That's that's a moment by moment thing. Anyway, that that thought just kind of hit yeah. me. So um, species stubbornment. <laughs> sure, sure. Whatever the case, whatever. Well, we is. know he can do the one one legged like pose thing, and he can do flips, <laughs> but he can't talk. Right. But he so. can't talk. Okay, all right, yeah. fair enough. I love, I love when Luke though is like, ah, yes, Yoda. He was like you, and he spoke in riddles, and I was like, I don't know if those were riddles. He just didn't speak his words in the right <laughs> it was order. Just different syntax. That's all that was. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a riddle, Luke, but okay. <laughs> like, all right, uh, let's finish to, this yeah. up with literally okay. one more thing. You get one more thing to talk about with this show. Andrew, do you have uh, one thing to talk about? Yeah, I just learned 8D8, who was the servant droid uh, at a Jabba's palace, is Matt Berry, who plays Laszlo in What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, he nice. stole my one more thing. <laughs> oh, did I really? Yeah. That's insane. I got so excited because I love Matt Berry. I watch everything Matt Berry is in. He's one of my favorite yeah. actors. Mm-hmm. And so when the uh, and it, it's really funny because he's got this new show called Toast um, Toast of Tinseltown, which he, if you haven't seen it, it's great. He plays an actor in L.A. And the whole like the whole series arc has him being like, I'm going to be in the new Star Wars film. And then everyone's like, <laughs> Yeah, sure. Like that's the response and- to all of them. And then when I was watching this, and he. It's, I was like, oh, it's Matt Berry. Anyway, I will just, I'll jump off your one more thing. Yeah, I was very yeah. excited by that. <laughs> uh, and not the same football Matt Berry. <laughs> I don't even know that Matt football Matt Berry. Yeah. So <laughs> no, you're, you're t- okay. <laughs> that is not something I, I understand. But I'm sure there are many members of our audience who, uh, who caught that reference uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, my one last thing is we have gotten through this entire conversation about Book of Boba Fett and somehow not spent any time on Fennec Shand. So that will be my one yes. uh, one last thing is just saying how much I love that character, how much I love... Um, uh, Ming-Na Wen. Yeah, Ming-Na Wen. And uh, just so excited to see her. Uh, I think her character ends in a... Re- they end her in a really interesting place going full murder, like full murderer um, or assassin. Let's say assassin, full assassin uh, at the end. Um, it's clear she disagrees with Boba Fett. I think she gives life uh, to this show. I think without her, uh, it would have seemed really, really uh, dull. Um, so yeah, I wanted to mention uh, Ming-Na Wen and her incredible work uh, in this show. Uh, and yes, so we know there's a lot we missed. It was seven full episodes, <laughs> but we got to move on at some point. So let's do that. Before we do, though, uh, just a reminder that you can be a member of Sif Pop at Patreon, patreon.com slash Pop is where you would go to do that. We do a bonus uh, podcast for our members, a bonus ad-free podcast uh, for our members at certain levels. And this week we talked about the Oscar nominations. So if you're curious what we thought about the Oscar noms, uh, you can check that out as a Sift Pop member. And that is at uh, patreon.com slash Sift Pop. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. 
They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Uh, all right, let's move on to the best ever challenge. We are doing best ever Kenneth Branagh movies, uh, and these are ones he's acted in, not directed. Um uh, really only a handful of movies, so there will be certainly yeah. some some repeats here. Uh, you know, um, he's been around for a long time to only have done less than 10 movies or whatever it is, you know, uh, or at least well known. A lot of Shakespeare. A lot of Shakespeare and uh, certainly understandable. We'll go number five to number one. Trump rules, of course, apply. There'll probably be a lot of Trumping uh, in this one. Um, I'll kick us off. Uh, my number five is Murder on the Orient Express. Um, Me too. Trump. Well, oh. Andrew's going to trump us both. Andrew, what is your number five? <laughs> the Road to El Dorado. Oh, interesting. Honorable mentions. Nice. Mm. Talk about it. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, this. I don't think this is a Disney animated film. No, I think this is a uh, DreamWorks. Is it right? DreamWorks. I think yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a fun movie, and the art style, the whole Mayan, you know. Uh, you know the way that they brought that culture to like an animated. It was fascinating. I loved it. And then there's also the impending doom of the uh, the conquistadors. You know, uh, I had a lot of fun. I, I think the I forget who the other actor besides Kenneth Branagh was in the Road to El Dorado. Kevin Klein pulled up. Kevin Klein, thank you. Yeah, I think the chemistry between those guys, the quick witted back and forth, was just fun. It's a fun movie. Mm. Nice. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good choice. I, I haven't seen it forever, so. It would be hard for me to comment on, but um, but yeah, nice, nicely done. All right, on to our number fours then, yep. since uh, we had the same number fives. Uh, my number four is Dunkirk. Same. Trump. Oh, this no. is fun. Isn't this fun? Uh, all right, this time it's Alice trumping both of our number fours. So, Alice, what is your number four? My number four is Much Ado About Nothing. Trump. All right, let's move uh, on to our number okay. threes. We knew it was going to be like this. Yeah. Uh, we've, we're on to our number threes, and we've talked about one movie. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> uh, my number three, I don't think we'll get to. I'll be very happy if it does, but my number three is Swing Kids. Um, I yeah. absolutely love this movie, legendarily so. Um, I'm surprised you didn't have it higher. I'm not gonna lie. No, listen, I, I'll be honest about uh, about this. It's certainly not better than some other uh, of his movies, but he's actually not even credited in this movie, uh, which uh, is interesting. And I think we've talked about that before. I wonder if it's because he was playing a Nazi and um, early on in his career and didn't, didn't kind of want to didn't kind of want to be associated with that. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, that's total conjecture. Uh, but yes, Robert Sean Leonard, Christian Bale, young Christian Bale, um, doing swing dancing and you know fighting against each other. One uh, entering the Nazi youth program. One who starts to buy into it. One who is holding on to their rebellion from it and kind of how they reckon with that together. It is, um, I think, really, really well done. So Swing Kids is my number three. Nice. Uh, Andrew, what's your number three? 
This is where I have Murder on the Orient Express. All right. So Allison yeah. and I had it at number. F- Allison and I had it at number five. five, and you had it at number three. What do you think? Um, well, uh, I was expecting, you know, another whodunit murder mystery sort of thing, but I was not uh, ready for the visual beauty of the movie. You know, how each train car had its own personality. Uh, kind of like, but not totally the same as Snowpiercer, you know? How, like, every new set piece, you know, felt like a fresh new thing. Because uh, we, we go back and forth between these uh, train cars, um, I think the acting is great. It's just a beautiful movie, and uh, it's it is my favorite Agatha Christie uh, murder. Yeah, and it's the only one I've read. So, Alice, any thoughts? Oh, I mean, yeah, it's just such a classic murder mystery. I love it so yeah. much. Uh, it's you know what this movie is just really fun to watch. Ironically, because it's about murder, but you know you just want to sit down, watch a cool murder, see the detective figure it out. Plus, I I do love the quirkiness of you know how the way that he really showcases Pyro's like little idiosyncrasies. I think Kenneth Branagh, yeah, he, he's having so much fun. You can just tell he's having so much fun. Um, plus, you want to talk about yeah, a stacked cast like. Oh my goodness! Every single member of the cast is someone interesting. So yeah, yeah. I, I I thought I think it's something you know. I'll revisit it now and again when I'm like, oh, you know what? I've it's been enough time so that I will want to revisit this mystery for sure. Yeah, you guys pretty much said everything I would I would want to say. It's just a, it's a beautiful, spectacular movie. Uh, check it out if you haven't. Uh, certainly applies considering we're talking about the second in the series today. And I didn't mention, but I'll mention it here since we're talking about Murder on the Orient Express. I watch Kenneth Branagh play Her- Hercule Poirot as many times as he wants to. I think it's yeah. it's really fun. Yeah. And there are some yeah. really fun moments. I mentioned, uh, I alluded to, I should say at least the uh, it's it's a real problem moment, which was one of my favorite uh, laughs of of the movie uh, when he when someone says you you tell everybody they're a murderer or whatever, or yeah. accuse everyone of being a murderer. He says yes, it's a real problem. Okay. It's a uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, let's see. Alice is number, number three. three. This is where I have Dunkirk. Oh, okay. Nice. So yep. Andrew and I had it at number four. Yes. You have yep. it at number three. So start so I us like off. it slightly more. Um, yeah, I just think you know Christopher Nolan and very much going on the shifting timeline three story stories where it's like at the end you're like oh that's what's happening Mm -hmm. um i just think and and i mean every even down to the score where you don't realize and i'm like why am i so tense and it's like oh there's been a ticking clock the entire time (laughs) like that's why i feel like i want to jump out Mm -hmm. of my skin from from stress and i just think obviously the performances are just amazing the the different stories are actually so captivating like every single one i want to know more you know i think tom hardy is so like a more easy to understand than in a lot of his normal roles in terms of the accent he's putting on but also his storyline's really cool and i i just love the the one with um you know the the dad on the boat, and then you know the two sons, and and it just all comes to this big oh, Mark swelling. Rylance, yeah. yeah, yeah, Mark Rylance, thank you. Yes, where it's that big swelling, you know, rescue moment on Dunkirk is just so powerful, and I just yeah, in terms of war movies, it's definitely one of my favorites. I just it's it's Christopher Nolan. That's all I really yeah. need to say. It's great. <laughs> Aaron, how many times have you seen this movie now? I think just twice. I think I've only seen okay. it the two times. Well. I remember whenever it initially came out, you and I were kind of hesitant to do a review because we were not 
on the same level as everybody else was when this movie came out. Everybody thought it was just the bee's knees, mm-hmm. and we thought it was a good movie, but right. we thought that there were some big flaws in it. I th- and still think there are. Yeah. Um, people, some people were saying this is their favorite Nolan movie, and I was like, it's not even close. It's middling to low for me. Um, granted, a middling to low Nolan movie mm-hmm. is still <laughs> extraordinary, um, uh, I love how Tom Hardy proved that planes don't need gasoline to fly. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. Yep. they just they just float, float <laughs> on the will of the British. Yeah, so. I th- I think my th- the reason it's improved in my estimation since our our first watch is not because uh, I don't think the flaws that we saw that first time don't exist. It's because they are flaws that exist for the most part, not all of them, but a lot of them, especially the major ones are flaws that exist only for the first viewing, which is a really interesting thing that Nolan does. He 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 does not seem concerned f- that his audience needs to understand what's going on the first time he, they watch his movie. Like, he he almost depends on rewatches to understand dialogue that is hard to understand because of sounds or whatever. Um, he doesn't, uh, I don't think, he, he does a very good job of explaining visually what's going on with these segments. And because of that, I think it's harder that first time through to really feel the things he wants you to feel. The second time through, you can really feel them because you understand more of what's going on. I really wish Christopher Nolan would do a better job of um, emphasizing the first time viewing experience. I, 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 because that's my favorite viewing experience of a movie mm. generally is the first time I see it. And I think that that's in, that to me, that's why that's so valuable, but not to everybody. In fact, probably not to most people. So I, and I think maybe he's onto something. Maybe he, you know, no. he doesn't care. I was actually just, I'm fervently on the opposite end of that spectrum mm-hmm. than you that I love the way he makes the second viewing of his movies just as, if not more exciting. Prime example has got to be, uh, oh my God, I almost said The Illusionist, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, the, the Prestige, Prestige, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The second viewing of that movie is where you get all the goodness. That's where the dessert is. But, but that movie Same makes thing sense with the Memento. first time through. That movie makes sense the first time through. There's, oh, there's no, there's no I thought part. you were talking about no, uh, no, 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 an overall I, movie watching experience. No, 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 no. I love rewatching things that that have you know some sort of story turn at the end, and then you can see little you know other Fight Club, whatever the case may be. I, that's a fun experience. What I'm saying is because Nolan doesn't care as much for the audience to understand things the first time through, it can feel more confusing. And so I would rather understand things the first time I watch it than have to go back and go, oh, okay, now that I know this, this is actually a part of the movie that that I like. You know, I, I still like all the parts of the prestige that become even better once you know the end. But, you know, with this and with another one that, that we'll talk about here shortly, I'm sure, uh, it, it's kind of the same thing where it's just the first time through, you're just like, okay, whatever, Christopher. And then you, then you go to the next time, you're like, okay, all right. Yeah, this is a little better. I can put the yeah. subtitles on now. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I will so. say that that is definitely part of it. Oh, subtitles! I feel like all of Christopher Nolan's movies from now on, now that he's really gotten into this like sound design that he discovered in Interstellar, they should all just become hard come hard coded with subtitles. I would, mm-hmm. yeah, I would just like I'd be fine. I'm like just just give me the subtitles so yeah. that I don't have to be like, well, I think something interesting was said there. I won't know till I'm at home. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing about Dunkirk, really quick before we move on, we talked about mm-hmm. how it goes back and forth in time. If you're not really focused and paying attention, that can be lost on you because it's very subtle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like like seeing uh, Killian Murphy on the that rescue ferry, you're like, oh, wait a minute. No, he was from later in the... Oh, okay. So if you're not mm-hmm. paying attention, they don't, they don't make it to be a big reveal that this movie isn't linear. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. That's I'm what sure. I'm yeah. saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 But I think it's still enjoyable on, on fr- until you realize front, it's not linear. You. Like, I, I was still enjoying it. And then when I figured out, like, oh, Tom Hardy's bit's actually only two hours of this whole thing. Like, that's when I was like, oh, okay, that's c- an extra cool moment. But yeah. I was still enjoying the experience, even though I yeah. didn't realize, you know, until they revealed it. Uh, I think we're on to our number twos, uh, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that's you. My number two, this is where I had much ado about nothing. Um, nice. I really enjoy this. Uh, Alice, you had it on your list at four? four. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Four. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I used to watch this movie all the time. Um, <laughs> Robert Sean Leonard, who just mentioned in Swing Kids, is here as yeah. well. Um, and then Denzel Washington is here. Keanu Reeves is here. Michael Keaton is here. Ah, uh, Keanu. Um, <laughs> he's not, I mean, he's he just is what he is in this movie. But like, um, <laughs> Man, I just I this this movie's a lot of fun in a lot of ways and uh I think of the Shakespearean adaptations that he's done, this is the one I I enjoy the most just because it's it's light and it's fun and mm-hmm. you know, I can only watch Hamlet so many times uh and <laughs> and be interested. So And Macbeth. Yeah. And Macbeth. <laughs> yes, right, yeah. Uh, so yeah. What about you, Alice? Since you had it on your list, yeah. Well, um, I, I'm not sure how many people know this, but I was a theater kid growing up. I did theater from when I was five up until I was like tw- like twenty. Um, and so I have read and know intimately every single one of the Shakespeare uh, plays. And this is my favorite. Much Ado About Nothing's always, always been my favorite. And I had to watch this when I had to do monologues from it, and you know, be in it and that sort of thing. Um, so I watched this to kind of get my head around it. And I, yeah, I agree with what you just said, Aaron. It's just so well done. I mean, Emma Thompson is just, mm-hmm. I love her so much. She is the greatest. And then I don't remember if they, cause I know they were married. I don't know if they were married during this or, or together during this, but the, like the chemistry, even if you don't like Shakespeare, the chemistry between them and the, you know, the, just the excitement between the relationships and the different stories, like it, the way it's done is just so enjoyable. I, have so much pleasure in revisiting this over and over again, just like you, Aaron. And yeah, I just, if you haven't seen it, and also if you don't know anything about this Shakespeare play, because it's like you said, it's not Hamlet, it's not Romeo and Juliet, it's not Macbeth. It's definitely one of his best and it's a fun comedy. I do recommend it for sure. They were, this was right in the middle of, of their marriage. Uh, this ah. They were married from 89 to 95, and I think this came out in 93 or somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, so That yeah, makes sure. sense. You can tell. You can tell that they're in love. It's <laughs> nice. Uh, all right. So number two, Andrew, what's your number two? Tenet. 
Yeah, I'm going to trump that. Uh, Alice, what's your number two? Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets. Harry Potter? I, okay, I don't think I have to say this again. I'm an insanely big Harry Potter fan. I grew up on Harry Potter. We all know this. I Mm -hmm. have many thoughts about the entire franchise and the entire books read him many times. And Kenneth Branagh is the perfect Gilderoy Lockhart. He is so vivacious and charismatic and ridiculous. And it's everything you'd want in that kind of character. And he is so, so, so much fun to watch. This is actually the very first time I'd ever seen Kenneth Branagh in anything because I was like, you know, six Mm. or seven when the first one came out, Mm -hmm. when this one came out rather. And so I didn't know who he was. So he's his first introduction to me was as Gilderoy Lockhart. And I just he's so perfect. And I love watching him again. You can just tell he's having fun with this role and being ridiculous and just so quotable. And I just every single time, you know, it's been however many years and it's amazing to watch every single time. Nice. Good choice. Good choice. Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, All right. So on to our number ones, I believe. Uh, My number one is Tenant, uh, and it was Andrew's uh, number two. On other mentions. I I, I have some of the same things to say about this as Dunkirk, although I think (laughs) overall the beauty of the construction of this movie is what puts it next level for me. I just think there's there's so much intricacy in what he's doing here, some of which makes no sense, and he knows it, and that's okay. (laughs) But, like, for the most part, he's at least thought out structurally how this world works and uh, those kind of things. And some of the other stuff you just have to leave up to metaphysical nonsense and – and just go, okay, you know, that's how you say it works in this world. So that's how it works in this world. Um, and yeah, I just, I think it's a, I think it's a really, really unique, fascinating and gorgeous uh, piece of art. Um, what about you? They blew a building up forward and backwards in time. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> Moving on to your number one, Andrew. <laughs> uh, wow, wow, West. No. Nice. Um, oh my goodness. No. Infinity War. <gasps> Me too. Hey! You're both it cheaters. It counts. It counts. Hey, no, no, He is no. credited, and that's more than I can say about Swing Kids. Kids, right? Exactly. I know. I was going to say that. He is yeah. the Asgardian distress call. It counts. He's the very first voice you hear. It does in count. Infinity War. It absolutely 100% counts. That is the spirit of the uh, best ever challenge. It absolutely yep. counts. Uh, I yes, just I'm think so to put glad it on my it's list. not just me. I thought this is going to be the whole thing. You know what? I'm going to let. I've talked about this movie way too much on this podcast. Alice, do you have just gush about how much you love this movie? Oh, I mean, definitely between the two parts, although Endgame is the culmination and has one of the greatest movie moments of all time, Infinity War is, you want to talk about first parts, alone it's a perfect movie. I mean, we have all know this, it's Thanos' movie, he succeeds, the hero of the film succeeds, just so happens that the hero is a really, really bad guy. (laughs) And so I just, everyone's on their A-game, it's, it was being in that cinema and seeing the credits roll with the final line just being Chris Evans as, as you know, Steve what Rogers being like, oh, God. Yeah, just. Oh, yeah. And then oh, everyone God. in the cinema, I think everyone was expecting like a woo at the end, you know, just because it's a big sort of moment. But mm-hmm. everyone, I remember it was a packed, it was Dead quiet. Silent. And then the credits being the ashes, just a really stab us in the gut it was just oh, oh my in that goodness. moment it's- when there was the asgardian call distress call 
that was Kenneth Branagh. Like it was just so so important to the movie. And <laughs> whenever we're talking, it was. It was. You know what? It was because it's it's. Uh, it, you know what it represent? It represents it the, the futility of going against Thanos. That this race of literal superheroes had to send out a distress call Preach. into the ether. Nice. And it was important. And I actually remember when I first heard it. I'm like, I feel like that would be someone important. I kind of recognize that name, but then I never looked it up until now. Until <laughs> now. Vindication. But it's just, uh, it's just so well done. The action scenes are powerful. The culmination of these million dollar casts, like multi-billion dollar casts coming together, meeting each other in ways that are realistic, but, you know, enough because it's a superhero movie, guys. Mm-hmm. But in a way that is exciting and interesting. And I mean, there's so many moments that I love watching in this movie, including mm-hmm. when everyone starts turning to dust, which sounds intense, but it as it is so powerful when you just see that first fade and then obviously the spider-man oh it's crushing yeah like i don't want to go i don't want to go oh my goodness i'd imagine that you know any parent with a kid would just be like oh gosh what is happening right now and then I just love it. None it's of my kids had movie. none of my kids had super spidey powers, so I don't know. Uh, so he I doesn't know, care if they get dusted. Yeah, I don't know if I know the whole feeling uh, of that. No, I just mean the fear of losing them and not being able to. Protect you know, I got to be honest you with know? you. I got to be honest with you as the parent in the group. I will say no. It really doesn't impact. I don't think parents okay. that way. And I'll tell you why because okay. it is so out there and it, like it's not real. Like it's okay. you're going to be much more impacted by like a kidnapping in a movie where it's like. Oh, that's a real thing that could happen, or a death in a you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, are we three for three on this panel for saying Infinity War is better than Endgame? Do, do all of us? Yeah. Do all of us it's believe that? It's the best film. Marvel movie. It's the best Marvel movie. All right. Here, oh, here's, okay. You know, Aaron, you and I, we we go back and forth, kind of talking about what the best moment from the MCU is, and mm-hmm. you know, we always bring up like a. Uh, uh, Thor picking up, or, I mean, Cat uh, picking up Mjolnir, mm-hmm. or <sighs> Thor's arrival in Wakanda, or Cat finally saying Avengers Assemble. Honestly, yeah, that that might be the best moments in those movies. But if we're talking about m- moment, moments in movies that are going to stand the test of time, I think the snap. Mm-hmm. I think the snap will go down as like one of the most influential movie moments. Yeah, because you never think it's going to happen. You never think. You think maybe he'll get close to it, and then the second part will be like, "Oh, he almost achieves it, right?" Mm -hmm. But it's like, no, I knew he was going to do it. I knew he was going to do it from the beginning of that movie. (laughs) No, no, not even that. Like, I like. There's no way they can build up this character from all the way back in. When did the first uh, Avengers come out? 2011. Twelve. Was that when the first Avengers movie came out? The first the Avengers, Avengers was 2014, I thought. No, wasn't it uh, no, 2012? It was 2012. It, 2012. Yeah. 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 But they I was in okay, year 12, yeah. They'd been building up that character for like six or seven, eight years mm. for them to not pay off with such a, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's from the moment at the start, like they, they don't. They kill Loki. Like, I mean, we all know now. But and Heimdall. at the time. And Heimdall. Like they the and it's not like a, a movie superhero death. It's a crack like a, a neck snap, which is mm-hmm. so it's such a violent way to kill someone. And seeing that and Heimdall, these characters who you always think have plot armor, you're just like, oh, oh, this is what 
you know, bringing it back to where Kenneth Branagh actually is. <laughs> well, well, one of those characters had plot armor out of Heimdall yeah. and Loki. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, and Heimdall has probably flashback plot armor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyone yeah. ma- magical kind of does. But at the time, you're like, oh, wait, no, that's Loki's, like, gone. Oh, my goodness. And that's the beginning. And then you got Avengers Infinity War. And you're like, oh, okay, two hours in, let, let, two hours to go. Let's do this. It's just... Yeah, it's just a few, so many. And then let's not forget just the action scenes, like the Doctor Strange fight, the anger I feel every single time that Star-Lord punches Thanos. Oh, my goodness. You want to talk about most hated moment? (laughs) You're just like, Mm -hmm. oh! (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I will say of the the 57 uh, people on the Avengers Infinity War poster, uh, I had forgotten that Kenneth Branagh was there in the background. Uh, so it's yeah. it's, it's good to <laughs> good to see. Good to see. He's standing right next to Thanos. Don't you right, see him right, right there? Yeah, right there. Just I on his shoulder. He's, 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 he's three fourths of the way of being dusted out of that poster. That's why you couldn't tell it was him. Uh, I have from to the mention- hip from the hips down. That's, that's right. Kind of that's right. That's right. I have to mention Hamlet. Uh, it is a very good movie uh, that Kenneth uh, was in, as well as Dead Again. I uh, wanted to mention uh, that one, too. He has a small uh, part in that, but I think he directed that. So, uh, yeah. So I wanted to Mary mention Mary Shelley's those. Frankenstein. Yeah, it's another one worth mentioning. Mm. Yeah. I also want to mention... It's the closest we can get to, like, I don't know if either of you... Have, I know Aaron doesn't know how to read, but no. uh, Alice, <laughs> have you ever read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have. It's it's, it's the slow. closest we've gotten. It's the closest <laughs> yeah. we've gotten to a true adaptation of the book. Yeah, a true and yeah, and it's a very it's a great like he's so good in it. And again, yeah. I don't yeah. think we all need to like argue the fact that Kenneth Branagh is a fantastic actor. He knows yes. what he's doing. He's classically yes. trained, and you can see it. Um, but the yeah, other movie I'd want to mention is Rabbit Proof Fence. If anybody's seen it. Um, it's really powerful. It's if you haven't heard about it, it's about three no. um, half white, half Aboriginal girls that escape uh, forced servitude in the 30s in Australia. Which so they, you know, very much part of kind of the time of the Stolen Generation, where it's a really, really it's a blight on the Australian history. Um, and just watching this journey of you know human will and power, it's just a powerful moment. And Kenneth Branagh plays a pretty bad guy, <laughs> but um, it's if it's actually I would recommend anyone who wants to know more about just Australian history in general. It's a great, great, absolutely fantastic film. Um, Jason Clarkson. Yeah, yeah, it's got a few um, Aussie, you know, uh, I'd say like fantastic actors and cast, but it's painful. It is painful to watch but it is it's incredible it's just i do recommend it and it'll give you more insight into just australia and our our colonization you know you guys um had native americans we had aboriginals that we took advantage of and and you know really did horrible things too and and it kind of looks at that and it doesn't look away and it's just yeah really the movies were really well done most areas have a history of yeah. <laughs> uh, doing terrible things to the native population. And yep. My ancestors were Vikings. <laughs> we did horrible things to everybody. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, ancient Rome. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Uh, that will wrap it up for the BEC. Let's move on to uh, our buried treasure. Uh, what's Ooh. that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to make sure people know about? Um, Andrew, why don't you kick us off? What do you got? New Netflix show called Murderville. Yeah, Ooh. I talked about this on uh, last week's episode. Oh, you did? Damn. Yeah, I can no, come no, up with ahead. something else. No, 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 uh, go ahead. Talk about it some more. Yeah. I want to hear what you thought. 
I really liked it. I mean, it's it's quick, it's fun, it's not the funniest show of all time, but you know what? You're going to smile the entire way through. Watching people like uh, Conan O'Brien and Camille Nanjiani, all these guys try and improv their way through a murder detective show is really fun. Everybody else in the show is scripted except for this trainee detective, and they're the ones that have to try and solve the case. It was a lot of fun. It Seeing... Whenever you uh, watch a show where you can tell everybody who's making it is making it first and foremost for them to have fun is infectious. You vicariously feel that sense of joy or nervousness or giddiness that they do whenever you know it's genuine. And whenever you have somebody improving something, it's going to be genuine, you know, because they're pulling from their true emotions. I had a, a really good time. I watched it all in one day. It took like two, two, three hours, something like that, just to watch the whole season. I don't know if it deserves a second season or needs a second season, but, you know, it was it was fun. And I wish I would have listened to last week's show because <laughs> I would have known that uh, it was Aaron's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I said a lot of the exact same things you said. We feel very similarly about this show. It's not the best thing ever, but the concept alone makes it a, a really fun curiosity. And there's nothing yeah. like it on TV. There's nothing like it on TV. Yeah. And the Sharon Stone episode was really funny. I I thought they all were surprisingly enough. Oh, the, yeah. Mar- the Marshawn Lynch episode is oh just- my. The Hemi rolling is so funny, with- and uh, yeah, I, I I really love the the conceit, and I'm ex- I, they can do this forever, uh, and I, I would have a fun time. I'm so glad there's so many murder mystery things. Uh, I know, me right too. I so want to say that I'm I'm so glad about the revitalization yeah. of the Who Done It because I personally yeah. really love those like you know yeah. Death in Paradise, yes. those sort of procedural shows. It's just fun. I want to see people killed, and then I want to see a smart person solve it. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> well, the thing with Murder Murderville is that every episode is basically the same. It's the same formula where you know uh, they're introduced, then they got to do. Uh, this interrogation, then they got to go undercover, then they got to, you know, at the very end reveal, like, it's the same paint by numbers every single episode, Mm -hmm. but for some reason, it it feels fresh every single time, it's because you have new people coming on, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you, Aaron, um, how many times were you right that it was the... Every time. That you got... You got the right one every single time. Every time, yeah. I, I missed. I missed two. I think. I, I think for me that was that was one of the things, and it's okay. It's totally okay. But they, re, I, I thought they really did lay the clues on pretty thick, and mm. I, I and it's not. I don't think the point at the end of the day, and they can't really with these short episodes and kind of all the stuff they're trying to do, make it like a complicated whodunit, you know, kind of thing. But they definitely lay clues out in the interviews that felt like clues to me, and then it was just like. Oh, now I get to watch who's right-handed, and you know, like it's so. Yeah, it was just it was kind of one of those things. Um, but uh, so it did it did feel a bit. Uh, it, it, if you were, if that was your focus, which it was my primary focus, like one of my primary focuses, uh, then because I'm just that kind of person, I love solving things. Uh, yeah. Then then yeah, I think it's out there for you. But um, but if you're just having a fun time and and laughing. Um, and you get to the end and you're like, hmm, let me think about it. Like, yeah, it, it can be fun. So, yeah. 
Yeah. It's good stuff. Murderville. I'm going to change my Aaron, what you got? I was originally going to talk about a movie uh, that I rewatched recently called Saved! Exclamation point from 2004. Oh, yeah. Saved! Um, and, uh, and I guess I will just briefly say uh, on that point... It didn't hold up as well as I wanted it to, but as a person of faith, uh, I remember in 2004 watching this and going, this is the kind of thing we we need to see, people who are believers, and go, okay, this is why uh, people don't appreciate who we are and what we say because, you know, we use the Bible as a weapon and, you know, all these kind of things. And uh, it's really well done. Mandy Moore is great in it, and there's there's a lot of good stuff, but I wanted to instead point you in the direction of I remembered while we were doing this of a music video it's like a year old listen when you're talking music with me it's going to be it's it's going to be at least a year old it takes me that long yeah. to catch up on stuff but the artist i believe uh their name is pronounced Noga Ares i could be wrong i th- think they're israeli um am i spelling it if you can n o g a space e r e z and the name of the song is end of the road and there is a live recording of this um on the succulent sessions um if you want to look it up on youtube uh noga era's end of the road live uh succulent sessions and it is captivating i love this video and this song it has been a long time since the song has like just like bored into my soul uh like this um i i love their style i love everything about it so uh, yeah, check that out. Um, Noga Erez, uh, End of the Road. Uh, and maybe you've already heard it. Because again, it's a year old, but it's new to me. So I I'm the I'd same, Aaron. The only music I listen to comes from movies and TV. <laughs> <laughs> I just put it on my uh, YouTube list. Yeah, check it out. List. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alice, what do you got? Okay, so I I was choosing between two as well, but I went with this one because I feel it's more timely. So I don't know if you guys have already mentioned this, but I recently watched the entirety of the uh, first, unfortunately, cancelled season of Cowboy Bebop on Netflix, the live action one um, starring John Cho. And I'd heard... It was really interesting. I'd heard a lot of mixed things where some people who did watch the anime and didn't really, really loved it. And some people who did watch the anime and didn't did, really didn't like it. And Netflix, just as it came out, didn't like it cancelled it. It did one of its classic Netflix cancels. And I the thing is, I'd watched some of the original anime, but it with anime, the design style is really, really big for me. And it just I didn't vibe with it. So mm-hmm. I just went in going, I really love John Cho. I'll watch it. I really enjoyed it. I think the cast was so... I mean, John Cho was fantastic. The entire cast, they gelled so well. I think it was such a fun, like, Western noir. I mean, again, and I know that this is based on the anime, but it is just... Yeah, I I had so much fun. And then the fact that it got cancelled. But the reason I say it's timely is because... Apparently, I'm not the only one to feel this way because it's currently got a petition out for some other network to pick it up or maybe Netflix to bring it back that's up to, like, 150,000 signatures. Um, Just because it is. It's such a fun story about just, um, if you don't know what it's about, just this ship. uh, It's basically Firefly. (laughs) It's what Firefly is based on. It's Firefly. It's anime Firefly. Yeah, it's anime. It was originally billed as back in the day. 
Exactly. And so it's this uh, ship bebop and it's this ragtag crew of bounty hunters and every episode they're kind of like going after a bounty, but you're also learning about them and, you know, their history and that sort of thing at the same time. And it's, yeah, it's really, I really enjoyed it. I really recommend checking it out. Try at least three episodes, do that classic sort of technique because I didn't know if I was going to like it at all. And I ended up only like wanting to get through to the end of it. So yeah, I do recommend it. A lot of people herald Cowboy Bebop as like the greatest anime ever or one of the greatest animes ever. I'm not a fan. So whenever the show originally came out, I was like, I'm just going to pass on it. See, I was the same. I watched the anime. I was like, eh, it's fine. I really enjoyed this. Like, I really did. So I do recommend maybe checking out a couple episodes because I think there's something about the way they've done it where it's slightly different. Like, I mean, as simple as in the original uh, show, the characters are um, like in their 20s, while in this one, they're in their 40s. You know, they've lived life. They actually have experience in life behind them and it's more believable. Mm. That alone already makes it better. Um, But yeah, just the cast, the way they've cast it, the way they directed it, the stylization of it is something I haven't seen this, you know what I mean? So I really, and and it was really enjoyable to watch. So I do recommend it. Very nice. Okay. That is Cowboy Bebop on Netflix, uh, Noga Eras on YouTube, and Murderville also on Netflix. We did it, guys. We managed to get very, very passionate and do a podcast at the same time. I love it. Not quite uh, to the good dinosaur levels. No, 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 <laughs> no nothing no, will ever nothing. get to the good dinosaur nothing. level, thankfully, ever again. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to you, Andrew, for hanging out again today. Well, thanks, buddy. Uh, big thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks to Drew for the visuals for the show today. And big thank you to Alice uh, for coming by again. Always love having you on the show. Alice, where would you like to send people? Yeah, absolutely. Always love being on. It's always so much fun. But you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd at Ali G Mick, A-L-I-G-M-I-C-H. And I'm also one of the writers for Sifpop.com. My next review is going to be The Book of Boba Fett. So if you want to hear more about the passion that we went into today, you're going to get 800 words on it soon enough in the website. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Check very, out very there. nice. Uh, appreciate you being here, Alice. Uh, and appreciate our Sif Pop members who, again, can listen to a bonus episode on our thoughts on the Oscar nominations this week. If you'd like to just find out what it means to be a Sif Pop member, just go to the Patreon and look around. It's patreon.com slash Sif That's patreon.com slash Sif uh, Support starts at $3 a month, and you get access to all the bonus episodes ad-free podcasts at different levels, monthly video hangout at a level, uh, but you can check all that out at patreon.com slash Sifpop. Lots of ways to connect with us. Feel free to leave a comment, rating, or a review at Apple Podcasts, or you can email us at feedback at Sifpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too, so make sure you let them know about it and that listening is much easier than surviving being a crime lord on Tatooine. Uh, We will be back uh, next week with Uncharted... I think we'll review, and uh, I think maybe we'll do the new Soderbergh movie, Kimmy, that uh, came out this week. Uh, So Uncharted and Kimmy will probably be um, the reviews for next week, and we will see you then. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, everybody.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.